this one and I was like, oh, it's okay, Kevin Bacon. Like, I get it. Like, no, I had to pause um, it, I mean, Terry. Like, it stopped. Oh, no. I was like, oh, oh shit. fuck. I sat, there, I sat there for a second. And I was like, oh, no. Okay, we can do this. Just a movie. Let's keep going. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Hey, Terry, guess what time it is? Is it time for us to do another show? And it's also like, you know, the end of the year. We're getting into like, end of the I don't year. know. You're getting ahead of yourself, man. Slow down. <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh, it's, it's already November. Like we're in like spooky season and like into the holidays. And like, I'm so excited. And you know what time it also is? It's time for us to do a whole round of movies picked by our wonderful producer, Sierra. How about that? Yay. Thank you, Sierra, for all the work that you do. And we are happy you picked out such a great round of movies for us. Starting it off is 1999 Stir of Echoes. The title of this episode is Am I Awake or Asleep? And the tagline in this movie- Am I? I Wait, am I I dreaming? I don't even know half the days. You never know, man. That's the whole (laughs) thing about it. Uh, The tagline for this movie, in every mind, there is a door that should never be opened. A little bit generic. I wish it was a little bit more clever, but it's really applicable. That's kind of cryptic as hell. Like, that's kind of scary. Like, yeah, there is like a portal that you're like, it's like Pandora's box of your brain, right? Like, you don't open that. Who knows what's down there? Uh, So this was based on the novel by Richard Matheson and being the good girl that I am. I read it before this episode too. I knew it. Oh my God. I should have known. I should have <laughs> known. Of course. Should have known. I should have at least perused it or skimmed it like the, the you know, last minute child, I it's guess right. I was. I don't it's know. Okay. It's all right. The book was really, really good. And, and I, I was surprised at how modern it seemed. Uh, there was a, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the differences, but the, the big difference, and this was something that I mentioned when we did the Howling episode, which I read the book for as well, is that they change names that I don't know. I don't know why. Like why? I'm they, telling you, why somebody wants to name them after, like usually it's their friend or somebody like on production. Do you know what I mean? Though, yeah. like maybe it's the director's friend's names. Like I love that. So and it's I, like the, the, his name is, what his, it is his name is Tom Wallace in the book, but he's Tom Witzke. I'm like, you change it to Witzke? What? And then it goes from Richard to Jake, from Anne to Maggie, from Elizabeth Sheila to Elizabeth. I'm like, they're just they're not like they're to- totally dated names. It's not like oh that seems very 50s. It's like. You could name your kid Richard whenever. That doesn't. Anyway, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. Richard Matheson's a great um, author. You probably know him from I Am Legend. Uh, this was adapted by, uh, adapted and directed by Richard uh, David Cope. Um, so this is something that this is Kevin Bacon, our our, our buddy Kevin Bacon, and uh, this is this is just to give you a little I point love of him reference. So much. Can I just say that I, <laughs> this is like around Kevin Bacon's like peak hotness. I mean, he's still hot now, like a hot daddy, hot granddaddy almost. But like him in the eighties, I just gotta say, was like, he one of your faves? Oh, girl. Okay, so like growing up very religious, like with a religion that was did not like like did not condone dancing to watch Footloose. <gasps> Footloose must have very- like spoke spoke to you. 
uh, so badly. I like between the Bible verses he's quoting, like all the stuff that we like, that was literally me like being like, I want to go to the school dance. Like, <laughs> please, parents, let me like all of that. So like he was like a literal angel in my world to me of just like, oh, my God. So I love him so much. So I was like, Sierra's asking us to watch a Kevin Bacon movie. Oh, oh, sure. What a pain. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> going to do it. There was recently a thing about on uh, Twitter that went around that asked what you how what your degree of Kevin Bacon was. Because mm -hmm. I always used to play six degrees of Kevin Bacon uh sure. in high school and college, right? Because I have my brain that works that way that I can yes, connect, you do. uh very easily. Uh and I was very delighted to learn I am two degrees away from Kevin Bacon. Um I'm in break uh the the Joe Dante movie Burying the X with Anton Yelchin. R.I.P. Mm -hmm. and R and Anton Yelchin's in uh, Green Room with Megan Blair, who mm -hmm. is in the Toxic of the New Toxic Avenger that he's directing with Elijah Wood. Love that guy, and also Kevin yes. Bacon. So amazing, and I get to be connected from Anton Yelchin and Megan Blair, which is pretty bitchin' as well. Well, Kevin Bacon was good friends with the owner of the shop I worked at for like twenty years, and his phone number was in our Rolodex at work. And did I ever want to call it every day? Yes. Did I? No, because I am a good person, <laughs> but I could have called him See, at any time. You're closer <laughs> than I am. There you go. You're not even one degree away. Uh, yeah, so, so. so to give you some some uh, background about if you can picture where Kevin Bacon was in his career when he made Story of Echoes, this is between Wild Things and My Dog yep. Skip. So, like, this is a weird that is random as fuck yeah but he's, he's literally been in everything and he's done so many different genres and so much different things like this does that's not why, surprise me that's like, why there's a game that's about why him. he's that's why he's the king right yes. you know what i mean though he's just like always be working man is always working he's either making music or he's making a movie or both at the same time which he kind of is here <laughs> yeah we get a little bit of his musical stuff going on in here uh yep. so, so we open on a little boy talking to someone we can't see uh, it turns out that it's a ghost. He's talking ghost. to dead people for sure. Like straight up. I was like, that kid sees dead people. As soon as I saw his little creepy like eyes, like those, I was like, he's that kid who can see things. I was like, oh no, oh no. Yeah. But he uh, doesn't seem it. perturbed by it. Right. He doesn't. No, he's chill. Yeah. So he, but he's basically got the shining is basically what he has. It's, it's, yep. it's a kind of very similar power. Uh, remember Stir of Echoes was written in 1958, just to keep you back in that head, headspace. Uh, we don't know who he's talking to until he says does it hurt to be dead and you go Ooh. okay yeah so, I was like, oh no baby's definitely talking to a ghost and uh yeah and so then we find out that his mom is pregnant in a, in a very unfashionable fun way where you're like pops like oh bummer and you're like oh no Aww. that is not the way you want your husband to react to you being pregnant and um uh the little boy's mom is also there it's the you know who's pregnant and his uh his aunt and so you can tell there's some family tension around all this stuff that's happening right now. Uh, can I can I give a shout out so to, to Ileana Douglas, who I have always adored and who I feel like steals this movie from everybody because she's going hard. Because she's amazing and she's great in every freaking thing she's ever done. And I'm also an Ileana super fan. I think that's partly why we're friends again. I think she like if you love independent films, she's an indie darling and just mm -hmm. like such an amazing actress um love her so yes she's 
plays like the woo-woo sister-in-law. She's into like mediums and astrology and cult stuff and also into hypnotism, as we're going to find out very shortly. But she's in school to be a hypnotherapist, so she's not just like, a, you know, learning it on her own. She is actually on her way to it. Uh, they go to, they, and the, so he says bummer when he finds out she's pregnant, uh, but then comes back and realizes what a dick thing that is to say. Uh, kind of smooths it over and says, I'm a happy guy. But then she walks, he walks away and she's like, no, you're not. You're not a happy guy. What? What is it? And um, this line, though, uh, I did, he says, I didn't expect to be so ordinary. Yeah, and the ordinary line, life. That line kind of hurt. I was like, oh, I kind of feel that. Is it because we've had conversations like this, like every other week, Julia, <laughs> yes. where we're like, we want to be we want to be powerful. We do this, but a small podcast and we want to, we want to reach beyond our, 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 our. There's some people who are like, I'm happy, like doing it every day. And then right. some people who are not. And I think it's OK either way. Sure. We all have our aspirations of like immortality in different ways. Um, and yeah, this this one, I was like, oh, it's okay, Kevin Bacon. Like, I get it. Like, no, I had to pause um, it, I mean, Terry. Like, it stopped. Oh no! I was like, oh, oh shit. fuck! I sat there, I sat there for a second, and I was like, oh no! Okay, we can do this. Just a movie. Let's keep going. So, but that honestly, was- all you've done is already amazing. I just, I, know, I have to I keep reminding you of that. Like, literally, you've walked the runway with RuPaul. Like, you've like lived a life that's like un- unbelievable and extraordinary. <laughs> It may feel ordinary to you because you're in it, but it's like literally extraordinary. So anywho, um, and you all are beautiful beings, all of you listening out there, just know that it's okay. But he's definitely confronted. I think that's definitely that middle age, midlife thing where you're like, you've, you know, got some distance between you and your high school days and you had some goals when they got married. And then he realizes he didn't do the things that he thought he was going to do from that time. I think that's the realization he's having. He thought he was going to be a rock star and he's actually just a lineman. So that's in Chicago, right? He's in, and they mention uh, Lisa, the, who's Leona Douglas, mentions that he's never lived six blocks from where he lives. So he has this very small idea of what the world is, and he thought he was going to like transcend this this neighborhood. That he was going to travel and all that kind of stuff, but he's not. And like, there's this neighborhood is very like. I don't want to say incestuous, but like, like very t- so tight knit, like everybody knows everybody's business. Like the doors are open. Everybody kind of seems to know everybody. Such um, a pro and con to that, right? Like it's there so is. nice when it's positive, but it can be real negative, and that's what you have to. And this realize. is what we're getting in this movie for sure. Hey. Is like the the depth and darkness of sometimes when people are so close that they can't see what's wrong right in front of them, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they, the adults go out and take their baby monitor. I love this for a party across the street. <laughs> I was like, where are they going all dolled up? I was like, literally across the street. That's it. <laughs> um, like and they a, bring a fun yeah. party. That's a cool house party. And so they take their baby monitor with them to listen to the little boy while he's sleeping, which I thought was adorable. I was like, this is hilarious. But I was like, oh, no, the parents are going to get too drunk. Something bad's going to happen. I was all stressed about this monitor. Um, but everything seems to be mostly OK. They enjoy the party until... Ileana decides to uh, talk to them about this hypnosis thing and everyone's like bull roar. Yeah, she because she, you know, they're in Chicago in this kind of blue collar neighborhood, right? And she's talking about uh, consciousness and 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 they're just kind of laughing at her because they all think that hypnotism is a joke. Uh, can I just ask before we get to that point in this film, uh, do you think hypnotism is real? Um, I do. I don't think it's like the sunken place real, but I do think there is something to be said for being in in that type of a state. Mm -hmm. And I do think there are some advantages to it. I do know some folks in the psychology realm as well too, who do use it 
in that way, mm-hmm. like to help people with like not smoking or with some other stuff like that. So I actually have some friends that do do that that are practitioners. I feel like Kevin Bacon feels in this movie where I'm like you can give it a fucking whirl. It ain't gonna work. But if we're gonna have he a does, party, yeah, he we're doesn't buy have it. Some fun. But this is how yeah. I would feel, right? Because I feel like I wouldn't be. I'm too in my head to be uh, susceptible to it. Yeah, um, where I couldn't. And I think there's something to be to said it. for that. Yeah, I think that's part of part of the hard part of it is like you do have to be like a willing participant for it to be. I think most effective. Mm-hmm. But as we find out very swiftly here. He doesn't have to be a willing participant. He happens to be someone who's kind of got a little touch of the shining kind of thing on him as well, too, mm-hmm. where he's actually highly susceptible to it and didn't realize it till this moment. So he goes through a whole thing and uh, the, his friends at the party think that he's like faking it because he was so far gone into this hypnosis. But he's like, no, nah, dude, I really don't remember. He's like, you don't like you literally stuck yourself with the pin, did all this stuff that she told you to do. And you also like shared this story from a long time ago that you don't remember. And it's kind of messed up. I think uh, there's um mm-hmm. can we go back to the actual hypnotism though? Because I think yeah, this please. hypnotism scene is really, really cool. It's beautiful. Um, because you have mm-hmm. Ileana Douglas gorgeous voice giving you these instructions and she I, you're picturing yourself in a movie theater by yourself. So of course this Alone. speaks speaks a to a black me. theater with a white screen, all letters the on the are screen. Black, all, uh, the walls you're very are black. relaxed. Mm-hmm. And, you and see then the you word. see the words on the screen. Sleep. Sleep. Uh, and I, I've read that this actually is a technique that is actually used to hypnotize, hypnotize people. So they're they're going as far as they could for the realism stuff. But he immediately, when he comes on out, doesn't feel well, doesn't remember, and wants to go home. Something's wrong. Uh, and doorways may have been opened uh, by someone who maybe didn't know exactly what they were doing <laughs> because they're just a student. And they're not really qualified. But this is the thing. Like, no, not party, at all. She's if, not qualified at all. If I was at a party yeah. and there was somebody there who was a hip, like they were learning how to be a hypnotherapist, I, of course, would do this. I'd be like, yeah, let's fuck around, man. Like, of course you would because it's just a party. Like, who cares? Of course and you would. We've ended up in the light machine together, Julia. I, I totally believe it. Like, we will try the, try the weird sure. thing at the party. Um and uh, I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I don't think this would be like out of the ordinary to see somebody try to do this. And I feel like it's like, I don't know, one of my other favorite movies, Office Space, was like really uh, the whole catalyst of that is a hypnosis moment. I think mm-hmm. I think it can be it can be done. So we get back to that night where Kevin Bacon and his lady are getting a little frisky at night. But he sees his wife. Out- oof. Yeah, she's uh, Catherine. Catherine Irv is is and doing a fine job in this, and she he so keeps hot. having flashes to terrible imagery, where uh, he sees uh, a bloody tooth being flown across the room, and also this shot of a nail breaking off the finger that is like fucking hostile worthy, like gore. I wish through. I could unsee it, but I like literally just replayed like ten times in my head while you were describing it, and I'm I very upset. I'm sorry too. War, war, war. It's okay. So I was like, bloody sex and fingernails. That's fun. And then he's like seeing shackles. And he's every time he's trying to focus on having like, I mean, she's doing a good job looking hot, hot, hot. And mm-hmm. they look like they are should be having a good time. But it, it looks like he is in the middle of like a torture session and not the good kind. So yeah. it's not great for him. So he also is um, right after like kind of is like, hey, like I can't do this. And the way he says it, it sounds kind of fucked up and she's kind of upset. But he, um, he ends up going downstairs and he sees well. it. No, but it's hard to explain it when you're like, I'm seeing shit and I, I'm, this is not going well because literally my brain 
portal has been open. I can't explain that a portal has been open in my brain. Yeah. Um, and he goes into the living room and he sees a ghost basically too. Uh, so it's uh, like, uh, oh shit. We've skipped. We've skipped. He goes into the okay. bathroom first. I, uh, I skipped that for a reason. <laughs> you <laughs> Go did? On. You can't skip it though. I'm sorry. We got to talk about it. Uh, he goes into the bathroom and he is washing his face. He drinks some water, sees some blood in the water and ends up uh, pulling his own tooth out. You can't see Terry folks, but she's shaking her head. Nope. Uh, and it is a very nope scene. Like I, I, get, I pride myself on being able to look at whatever you show me. And this one was hard to look at. Uh, pulls his own tooth out and it's really, really fucking gross. Then he goes into the living room uh, and sees a ghost. And he's and... wearing a social D shirt, which I love. So social distortion, which I also think is kind of poetic. A, the band is awesome. But B, the fact that all the things that he's seeing now are distorted. And I was Yay. just like, this is kind of a great little fun little with the little using the shirt to kind of tell us what's happening. And then but the little boy in that is like, hey, daddy, you're awake now. And you're like, oh, the kid knows that the dad can see the dead people now. He's like, yeah, you're joining my party. And it's like he's kind of excited because he's like, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah, he says, um, don't be afraid of it, daddy. Because yeah, this like, is something that little boys live with his whole life. It isn't scary to him, uh, but it is a little bit scary when you're in your middle 30s and suddenly that door is open, open, and you can now yeah. do this. And he calls Lisa to be like, hey, uh, so you opened a portal in my brain. Uh, she's like, oh, your mind is open. Great. He's like, no, 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 not great. Like, this is not going well. Um, but he's, you know, tries to push it down. And she's like, you know, basically like not super helpful at that moment. Um, and life must still go on. So they want to go out and have a good time and they get a babysitter to go out for one night, but they were having a hard time getting a babysitter and Jake actually helps mama pick a babysitter out. Yeah. Why don't you call uh, Debbie? They go, okay. Uh, it's interesting that this is, so this was uh, meant to happen then. No, this was meant because Samantha's telling him, got it, to get Debbie in the picture. So uh, they get Debbie. Well, ghost Samantha. That's Samantha's a ghost for you listeners out there who have yeah. not seen this movie. <laughs> Samantha is talking to Jake, which is the real child um, who is alive. Samantha is a ghost, yes. And, and she so, recommends mm -hmm. that he gets Debbie. Debbie, if we, Debbie ends up finding, she, she talks to him at night about, he keeps saying that he talks to Samantha. Samantha's in his house. And so she thinks that, because Samantha's missing as far as she knows, not dead but she thinks that they've kept her in this house that somehow she's trapped in the house as a kidnapped victim. So he, she takes him to the train station, but Kevin Bacon is having like red flash moments where he knows something is up and he is going to a football game, but keeps getting these red flash. And this is really fun. These, these it's, it's the car lights, it's the signs, it's everything is super cool how this him. is done. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know. It's I don't I know I like the device of the of the red light being like kind of like the thing that helps him connect the dots um to what's going on. So he's basically using his like red light shining um to rush back to get his son and he grabs his son and finds her down, down finds the babysitter with him down at the train station and the cops are like, "Hey, did we press charges?" and he's just like, "No, no, no, we're good." And mom is like, "Wait, what?" and then they walk away. He's like, "I've been seeing Samantha too." <laughs> and like finally confesses like by the way, mm -hmm. she's real. She's dead, though. So I kind of didn't want to talk about that in front of the police because no one would believe me. Kind of like how you didn't believe me the other night when we were having sex. Right. And it turns out that Debbie is Samantha's sister and she was taking her him to the train station because her mom, his, her mom works there. Uh, why she could not just call her mom? This seems dubious. I'm not really sure. In the book, she just kind of takes him and they find her like in the yard. So like she's on her way somewhere, but she hasn't actually taken him anywhere. Uh, but I that, that's... think that she just, 
I don't know why she didn't use the phone. And that's also like, I don't know, a weird time where I don't know about like, because this is like pre cell phone, cell phone, you know, like this. Sure. But she here. would have a house phone to call the station. House phone. Yeah. Uh, so it seems it seems like a, a plot point more than it seems like an actual decision one would make. But if you're in a panic, who knows? Uh, so they um, he tries to talk to Jake about it because Jake in, yeah. this, in the movie, he's maybe five or six. He's quite small. Yeah. He's a little uh, baby. So he's trying to like, what do you see? What do you, who is Samantha? What is this deal? And the, and the kid just won't talk. And you can tell that he's freaking him out because he's being real intense about it. Well, not just freaking him out. It's not because he's freaking him out. It's because it freaks mama out. And Jake understands that. So he's got, because he's lived with it so long, he's kind of found ways to like communicate through these like dead people that talk to him without scaring his mom in a way, which I think he's done a masterful job at, but dad is not as good or as adept at it yet. Right. And he freaks mom out. He's like, I don't talk about it because it scares mom. And that's actually and like, um, in oh, the okay. In the mm -hmm. book, in The Shining is a lot of Danny's point of view about that, about not mm -hmm. wanting to scare his mother about that because he has done a couple of things where she's fruit and free. He see how it affects her and doesn't want to tell her. So we have that kind of uh, similar thing as well. So he, uh, we find out that Kevin Bacon is kind of uh, in this fugue state where he's sleeping 12 hours a night. He's used up all his sick days. They mentioned earlier that they don't have a lot of money. So that seems to be weighing on him and he's just being real fucking weird. And so everyone knows she they're preparing for baby number two because sure. that was a thing he was like i want you to not have to work when we have the second baby she's like well how can we we don't have the money it's like i'll do doubles i'll do whatever i need to do to like make this happen so that you can take the proper time off to really be with the baby mm -hmm. um and yeah he is like losing grip of reality um and the neighbors start noticing too they have a big block party and he's like literally at the block party just asking people about this lost girl and it sounds fucking weird because she's 16 and it's like Sounds like he's like kind of sexually obsessed with her, the way he's talking about her. He is not communicating in any way that makes you trust him or to want to tell him any information, even if you had any, because he sounds like he's going to do something bad to her if he hasn't yeah, already. I wish that the I wish that the character I feel like the character of Tom in this is 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 very bad at expressing himself. Right. Like I understand he's going through something he can't explain, but even so, I feel like he's not there's so many things I'm like, no, no, no can't you see how the, that could be taken wrong? Why would you say it like that? Like there's a lot of that going on. Um, no, and he I, can't, he literally can't like, he's like so blind, but, but he's also and that's the he's problem. So, he's so aggressive yeah. in this movie as well. And I feel like the, the character of Tom, because you're seeing it through his eyes in the book is very logical and yeah, he's freaking out, but he realizes he has a pregnant wife. So he's trying to like keep it together a lot more. Right. Than this. Uh, I, I we love get to, I think we get, sorry, sorry. Oh, I just love, love that we have this block party that she's talking about and that ends up breaking up because people get in a fight. And Sheila, who is uh, Frank's wife, one of the neighbors, says so tiredly, someone's always got to ruin it. Can't they just be nice? I feel like that's my like. I feel like I think that so much in my life. Like, why does someone ruin it? Just be nice. What is wrong but with I you? I also love her because she's like the like resident drunk, too. So she's just she's already like uh, she's so docile, well, because, but also like because, annoyed. Her husband's like super pervy about young girls. So they're at this high school thing. There's a lot of young girls. And he's, she says, why don't you just lick them as they walk by? Because he's just like drooling over these girls. So I feel like that's put probably a lot of why she drinks the amount she drinks. Um, and maybe something else is weighing on her mind. But we'll get to that. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe. Um, but I also like what I was going to say is next that Neil kind of gives a little bit of an explanation. We meet Officer Neil. Um, this is a graveyard moment 
where um, because, you know, Tom has been losing his shit, uh, Maggie decides to take Jake out for a walk and they go, you know, to the park basically. And then they end up like at the graveyard because of course Jake's like, Ooh, it's my friends. Um, <laughs> mom doesn't quite understand, but that kid loves a graveyard. He's like, and Oh, so, so cool. So cool. I love it. Look at all these like cool people hanging out by all these tombstones. Um, but, uh, and, uh, graveyards are beautiful. You know, they are oh, gorgeous. Very I hang out in them all the time. I definitely spend more time than I probably should. I go to forest lawn a lot. Um, Hollywood forever is my jam. Yeah, see, we each have our favorite graveyards in Los Angeles. There you have it. Um, I prefer the Glendale Forest Lawn. That's we are super weirdos. That's a but... week of the week of the Heather. Is that that, yes. that one? I love. I love that little Heather. church. See, mm-hmm. it's so cute. Um, and it's it's got like fake Notre Dame across the way from it too. So I love going up there to take pictures. It's beautiful, um, and great views of the city. But anywho, and also lots of dead people. It's beautiful. Um, so. Um, Neil is an officer and he's there at a funeral for police officers, but he notices the kidney smiles and you're like, oh, they're definitely having this is a full like shining moment. I was like a black black man, you know, beautifully dressed, you know, and like I was like, OK, Dick, like what's going I on? I know. I know. This is very Haller and Danny. And can I just point out that this is this very. whole sequence not in the book. This is not this is not something that like Stephen King ripped off from this book. This it doesn't exist. Like he goes to see a psychiatrist. There's no, there's nothing of this. Okay, so, so this director di- was like, was like, I love The Shining. Can we make a Dick Halloran moment? But can yes. we make it a police officer? And can we make this at the cemetery? And can mm-hmm. we do that? Because it's very cool. I was yes. like full shining right here. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, the boy's got the eye. And she's like, what do you mean? And you're like, oh shit. She's like, yeah. He's like, oh, not you, but the dad does, right? And she's like, uh, yep. Yeah. You nailed it. So, and he explains kind of like how, why Tom has been acting so bad because the portal was unleashed at the, and the way it was and at the time it was, it's probably too much for him and he doesn't know what to do. He's like, it's literally like being in a wind tunnel basically with all this information coming at you. And that explains why he's like not being rational at all right now because so much yeah, is coming into his, yeah. He, he, he doesn't have to choose. No, when, he can't process coming. it. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, and uh, think about how great a police officer he must be. He's if probably he can, the best, right? Because yeah. he could. If you if you're a police officer with psychic powers, you're like the ultimate the ultimate. Um, so we have this terrible, terrible dream sequence in which uh, uh, Tom sees Frank in his house acting real weird, and he says that there uh, that he follows him to his house, and his house is his son Adam, who we had met at the block party. Uh, see, he sees him kill himself. He shoots himself in the stomach, right? Or like in the side? Honestly, I don't rem- I thought it, I, I don't have a recollection of what okay. part of the body he sh- shot himself in, but I know he shoots himself. And so it turns out it's just a dream. Uh, but then, of course, he wakes up and the dream begins exactly as his the reality begins just as his dream was. So like he couldn't find his boot, which is under the table, under the couch, which it is. So he walks up to the house uh, and, and as he's walking up, there's a gunshot and he goes in just as Adam had already shot himself. Uh, and this is where he says, am I awake or asleep? And this is yeah. that horrible moment where you really wouldn't know. Um, I've never had a dream so real that I couldn't tell it from reality. I always know I'm dreaming, so I've never had this kind of moment. But it's lucky you, my friend. Horrifying. Lucky you. Really? Do you have, have you had yeah. this, something like this happen? I have like deja vu and I have like weird waking dreams all the time. Oh. So cool, cool, cool. Um, She's just going to brush by that. Because <laughs> it's not something you want to hang out and like sit in. I get Tom's like impetus to like move forward and try to figure out his things. So 
he, um, you know, is obsessing about all these other stuff as well along the way, like a, a song he keeps trying to, he keeps hearing, like all these other things are, are keep flooding him, all these like clues basically. And he seems like he's getting closer and he ends up starting to like dig up their backyard and like all this other stuff because he thinks like there's something back there. Does he ever, uh, does he ever uh, figure out what that song is? Yeah, they do because they end they play it. It's in the final sequence. Uh, okay, okay. It is uh, in yeah. the final sequence where like we get get all the pieces put together because it literally all comes together between like the weird jacket that he keeps seeing, like this like orange like jacket with like fur kind of mm -hmm. lining on it. Um, we see all the pieces at the very end. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tom goes back to see Lisa because he was like, "You have to rehypnotize me. This is this has gone too far." I like to uh, admit that uh, or point out that Lisa is totally on a date that he is totally just ruined. With yeah, the girl. she's hot. This hot lady. Yeah, this hot girl yeah. that they, she's like, I just smoked a big fatty with her and now you want me to hypnotize you. And like, they're t clearly perturbed that he has ruined their date, uh, but he looks real crazy. Uh, and so uh, when he re we hypnotizes him, the word dig goes up on the screen. So he's supposed to dig. So he goes on this mad range. He has the, he's an obsession with orange juice. He can't get enough. He's so thirsty. He's thirsty. He keeps drinking. Yeah. Are you everything. into that shirtless digging? I bet you like that, that scene, right? Hey. I know. Hey, my friend. All right with me watching a <laughs> Kevin Bacon with no shirt on digging up holes in this backyard. Very hot. Um, also manic, but also hot, but manic, but hot. Um, and so he um, is out there digging and digging and digging. But then all of a sudden his wife gets a fax, which I just that's the most early 90s moment. Kids, there was these machines back in the day. Called a fax machine, and uh, you ha used to have to send things this way uh, before the email was ubiquitous. Um, you might get a fax from somebody. So Maggie gets a fax, basically saying that her grandma's back in the hospital. But Tom knows already that she is passed on because he's already communed with the dead. Um, and she like, goes to talk to him, and she's like, "He's like, uh, oh, she's already. I mean, I'm so sorry." Like, and he like tries to play it off, and then uh, she calls her brother Stephen. He, he's she goes right back outside. She's like, "You already knew," and he's like, "Yeah." Yeah, I, I already knew because I talked to dead people basically. So, so sorry. Yeah, so she he doesn't go with her to go to the the funeral. Uh, he says he has stuff to do, and he what he has to do is he has to start digging in the basement. So right. he is so like goes to manically to Home Depot, all sweaty and disgusting, to buy a jackhammer, and it's just a jackhammer in the basement. He starts ripping up the wood floorboards, like he's going to town. And then we find out, like, from one of the neighbors that they rent. And they're like, but they rent. Like, why is he ripping this whole place <laughs> apart? And I was like, oh, shit. That is a whole other dimension to, like, this whole situation. Mm -hmm. And I think he rents from, like, one of the neighbors as well. And they're like, what's he doing? He's literally, like, it's so much noise. All the neighbors are like, because they can all hear it now that he's, like, jackhammering in his basement. Um, and so also the other people that really know what's going on are some people that might know why he's frantically jackhammering down there. Um but um, Jake has, a, has an inkling of what's happening. He knows exactly what's hap what needs to happen as well and is glad his dad's doing it. And, um, you know, Maggie was going to go home to go check on Tom um, once the wake and funeral is kind of winding down. Um, and Jake opts to stay with Aunt Lisa, Ileana Douglas, because he's like, um, I'm worried about some feathers that might be happening later. So I just, I just don't want to go. And they're like, feathers? He's like, yeah, feathers. I just can't go. Sorry. So he decides to stay with Aunt Lisa, which is a brilliant move. Because right around the same time, Papa finds a false wall in the basement. There's somebody got bricked up. And it turns out it's Samantha. Yeah, if he finds that coat he's been seeing, she's missing a tooth. So we know what's going on. And so he, stealing himself forward, grabs a hand of the corpse's hand and now sees her entire death replayed 
uh, which is which is terrible. Which is where we get the song because we find out this boys lured her into that house. This is before they moved into the house, um, and um, they um, uh, played on some music, which is where we get the music portion. It was cold. We kept seeing visions of like cold breath the whole movie, so it's very cold this day. And they lure her in basically to like assault her and. It's like content warning, sexual assault, basically. And like um, they end up smothering her in plastic and uh, try to try to keep her quiet, which, of course, ends up actually killing her. Um, and so he sees the full vision of the boys that did it and what they did to her and everything along the way. Um, it's bad. Yeah. So it's Kurt and Adam who are two neighborhood boys. Adam is Frank's son. So he goes to get Frank to be like, hey. I'm going to go to the police, but I wanted to go to you first because this is your kid. I want to tell you what I'm going to tell them. This is what, come see what I found. So he goes to- Always go to the police first. Don't go tell one of the perpetrator's friends or family. But I feel like I get it. In this case, I get it, but also don't go to the perpetrator's friends or family. There's a reason that that thing is bricked up. I don't think that kid could do it on his own in that house. Sure. And we find out that indeed- uh, Frank knew so that he has been hiding it for his son, which is explains uh, Sheila's alcoholism I mentioned earlier. Uh, so and then Harry, uh, who is one of the other neighbors who is the landlord and uh, Kurt, the other boy, come barging in. And so this becomes this big attack sequence where now he's got to actually fight for his life because they have guns and they have things and they're just about to shoot him in the head when Maggie blows the horn and saves his butt. Uh, and luckily, she had put a big knife in her purse earlier in the movie because she's like, everything's getting kind of weird. This is yep. good final goal instincts. Horror movie survival guide tip. If you feel things starting to get kind of weird, just put a knife in your purse, man. Like, it's if you never use it, cool. But I have one in my purse 90% of the time. Yeah, me too. Because, um, like, yeah. you know, you, we live in LA, you never know. And I go, you got a whistle and a knife. <laughs> oh, you got a whistle too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she shows up uh, and she has the big knife. She stabs Harry in the foot. Uh, and and Frank ends up killing both Kurt and Harry because I, this is a, in a kind of inexplicable why he would why why he chose to do this. But he's in a state where he's like they're just because killing Tom and Maggie would actually make more sense because Harry and Kurt already know right right but, but now- the guilt but Frank actually feels guilty and Frank wasn't the one he didn't really it sounds like he's not the one he really wanted to do it he was the one who like felt like forced to do it probably by these other guys right and so it's just this interesting thing where the, I think the guilt just weighed on him so badly he was just like I, I just need this to be done and he knew that they were going to try to kill Tom and Maggie like that was part of their plan I think ultimately once they realized they were figuring out what was going on and he didn't want to have that on him and so um, through the course of events, though, the guns and we talk about the shooting, how it shoots the feathers out of the pillow. And we're like, that's the feathers that the kid was talking about. So Jake knew that if he his, was in that bed, his bed, yeah, that that would have been the one that got shot. So he would have been his brains a splat like it went straight through the pillow. So we flash forward to some conversations that, um, you know, Samantha has been found and all this stuff. And, you know, Tom and Maggie, of course, move the heck out of there. It's like a U-Haul commercial at the very end, which is very cute. Um, and then they drive off, but it's literally noisy down the whole street for Jake as he's riding along. You're like, oh, this is what this kid's life is like. It's just mm-hmm. noisy everywhere as all these ghosts and things are like all around him and you can just hear everything. That's okay. As he gets older, he's going to be able to, to funnel that a little bit better and it won't be so, so I'm not worried for Jake. Uh, so, uh, book wise, uh, some, some big differences, uh, there's 
a lot of this there is he he does have the same hypnotism kind of freak out and sees a lot of things but a lot of it has to do with his neighbors having affairs and people like who is the killer kind of thing um and the ending is because in the in the in the book she's pregnant but he he tells he can find out very early that she, it's a girl because she's mm-hmm. like just barely pregnant so the end of the book is like they have the girl and he's like oh of course they of course and so like there's like this cute little button on the end of the pregnancy that's like he was right um and because they mentioned the pregnancy early in this movie and then they never mention it again like it just goes right away. um so i i highly recommend the book and the movie uh they were both very entertaining and it was cool to read I'd seen this movie, but when it came out, so I couldn't, I remembered bits of it, but not all of it. And so to read the book and then go straight into is my favorite thing because then you get to see dorky comparisons and this is what I live for. You know? Out of your life. It's and then people life. get to listen. You listen to me talk about it. I made in a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> I was like, this is literally like half our conversations in our life. If you want to know what it's like being friends with me. This is this it. Is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Okay. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I found another weirdo who will put up with my weirdness. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm just like, give me the analysis. I need to hear it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's discuss. Um, do you want to do some gore factor? Yeah. So one is not enough blood to fill the Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. So this is solely on the shot of a fingernail breaking off her hand that we get replayed a bunch and and she and and the, t- the tooth, tooth pull uh it's three and a half for gore so it's enough blood to gross out the average viewer and a little bit more because we're pretty seasoned gore hounds and it's it's the body horror stuff right like they get yeah. you because you know you can imagine what that would feel you like you can it's, feel it you can feel it we've all lost teeth because we grew up right if you're listening to the show right so gross Ugh. that humans do that <laughs> It is. And we keep doing it. It's like all of a sudden it's like another one's just going to pop. Oh, anyway, bones are weird. Teeth bones are the weirdest. So chainsaws, zero to five. One, if you're desperate, two barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. Five, pandestagorical. I give Star of Echoes a four. I think it's not too shabby. I um, It's definitely scary. Definitely creepy. Um, I like kind of the nods to The Shining, even though it's probably gratuitous nods to The Shining, but I kind of enjoyed it because then it just was shorthand for like, oh, this kid's got the vision. Like I understood what was going on in the story. Um, also, Kevin Bacon, um, like you said, shirtless, digging around in a big hole in a backyard. Not mad. Not mad at all. <laughs> uh, I give this movie a four and a half. I think it's really good. I think that the I like all the characters. I think that everybody has forward momentum and is is doing things for a reason i feel like a lot of times in these kind of horror movies people just kind of wander around like no everybody's doing stuff and i and like i think the wife character in these kind of movies can often be quite sidelined or annoying and i feel like she's she's really good i really enjoy uh this actress in this performance um and i I think yeah and Mm -hmm. i think you know going back to the book to you know we think about the shining right we think about this kind of hypnotism is kind of played out in horror movies um but writing in 1958 where you're kind of delving into this academic notion of what hypnotherapy is and less about like sideshow type stuff um i think is is very interesting and we can see obviously as we're talking about shining like this is an influential book would would uh stephen king have read this as a kid certainly 100 percent. like this is of course and and but there is less about the kid is learning the kid also has it is kind of the button on the end of the book it's less about that so they play that up more in this film 
So listen, thank you for listening to us talk about Stir of Echoes uh, for the last nearly 40 minutes. We love you very much. We, uh, we appreciate all of you Patreons, especially a shout out to you. Thank you for supporting us. We are independently produced by three lovely ladies, and that's all there is on that. Uh, we do oh, have yeah. Teespring if you want to approach us and get us some merch. And we also oh, have a, a Twitter, we have a Facebook, we have an Instagram. We would love to talk to you about anything you want to talk about, really. Let us know what you think of Stir of Echoes. If you love Kevin Bacon as much as we do, shout it out. Let's see How some bacon. How many degrees away are you? Yeah, that's, we need to find that out. Let's find that out from all of our fans. We love you guys so much. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you again real soon. Take care. Bye, Disco Citizens. Thank you for listening. Horror Movie Survival Guide is independently produced by Terry Gamble, Julia Marchesi, and Sierra Ryan. Hey, that's me. If you would like to support the show, find us on patreon.com slash horror movie survival guide.